Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. It is March 15th. It's March Madness. Chris Anderson, typically this time of year, we are answering questions about how and why West Virginia got jammed up by the tournament committee. Um, this is going to be a different discussion today, which I think people will enjoy because of the reason it'll be different. And maybe not some of the answers that we try to provide, but first time, long time, so to speak, West Virginia is on the right side of the coin when it comes to the selection process. Oh, Mike, are you talking to me? It, it's been so long since you've had me on the podcast. I uh, didn't know I was still part of this. Charles Peterson is very happy to have you back, by the way. He wanted us to re-engage. He was worried about the brand, and here we are. But yes, uh, so your March vacation is over, and now uh, we get to roll up our sleeves and discuss this. Welcome back. You refreshed? I, I do feel refreshed. Completely unplugged, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it was, it, it's been a long time. I feel like when I was younger, there were times where I would go places where you truly had no way to contact people. But I thought those days were kind of gone. Like, even no matter where you went, you still had some way to get in touch with people. And I guess I kind of still did. But, I mean, the moment you stepped outside of the house that I was staying in, you had no cell service, no Wi-Fi, no nothing. Absolutely nothing. So the only way I could communicate with people was if I were in one room of this one house and connected to the Internet. And that was it. And uh, it was great. <laughs> not going to lie. It was fantastic. So... Glad to get that out of the way. Glad it did not coincide with the actual NCAA tournament like it always does. Um, as, you know, it goes, I line it up with my kids' spring break, which always seems to line up with Selection Sunday and everything else. So nice to get it out of the way in that week between the season and the start of the Big 12 tour- tournament. It was good of you to hurry home Thursday so you can catch the post game <laughs> for their exit. <laughs> yes, that was, that was a good way to get back and jump right back into the mix of things. Let's start right there. Let's start at the finish, so to speak, because they lose to Oklahoma State, which doesn't seem like as bad of a thing, especially 24 hours later, uh, maybe 30 hours later, when they beat Baylor. <clears throat> and you're thinking, okay, three losses, final four games, three pretty good teams that they lost to. Perhaps this isn't falling apart. I thought for sure that they fell through the three line to the four, which may actually still be true. And my concern well, I wasn't concerned. It doesn't bother me. My my curiosity was whether or not they would fall through the four to the five. At that point, are you wondering, are you worried, are you sympathetic to the idea that they're not going to get a fair shake from the tournament because of a recency bias? Or were you confident that they were a lock four and if things went right, they could be a three? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I, I'm always concerned about recency bias. I think... It, that everybody gets hit with it. I think about it all the time when I do like my weekly power rankings. I was going through, I was like, am I being too harsh here? Because I dropped on the the thing I called the actually accomplished rankings. I dropped West Virginia all the way to, was it fifth, I think? Uh, yeah, behind Oklahoma State, Texas, and Kansas, and obviously Baylor too. Um, and and I, I struggled with that. I was like, am I, am I being too harsh here? Am I being, you know, focused too much on how this thing ended? You know, with Texas winning the Big 12, Oklahoma State finishing strong, Kansas finishing strong, and WVU kind of limping to the finish line. But uh, you put it best when, when, with, with your article on the site the other day that, that the whole schedule mattered. And saw a lot of uh, chat on the Twitter uh, from some of our compatriots in the WVU media about 
how some of the bracketologists really take into account these conference tournaments. But history has shown in recent years that the selection committee doesn't. And that, I don't know what to think of that. Do you think they should take into account more of this tournament? Or do you think it's such a, or do you think it's like fluky or something? But, um, well, do you I, agree with that premise? Because I always think that the tournaments really matter. And if the team, you have to, maybe it's just like get in or not. And maybe that's what I'm thinking. But it seems to me that when teams do perform well and they're on those Friday night, Saturday night, or Saturday night, Sunday games, you're talking semifinals, finals. I, I just think that they're in the mind of the committee and it's better not to be out of sight, out of mind. So that's a perception. But I think the reality also is that you're watching a team win a conference championship or play for a conference championship. And that matters. Like, I do. I mean, listen, I think that all what was it this year? Twenty six games, twenty seven games. That matters. And this and this season in particular. And if you look at what West Virginia did, weaving out of bounds a couple times to get some extra action, that's commendable. But in a normal season, I, I do. I, I just I never thought that before. I kind of thought that those tournaments mattered, and like a conference championship in the regular season was. I think coaches would say is almost not as important, at least in terms of the selection committee as a tournament championship. Now, look, if you're a, if you're a team that's a mid major and you win your tournament, I don't think that resonates as much because it's, it's more of an open field in the Ohio Valley, for example, the Missouri Valley, some of these good team fields, there's a, there's four or five teams that could win it in that, in that tournament in a mid major. Sure. If there's four or five teams that can win it in a high major, I think that's different. And if you're like the fifth team and you win it, that, that really does matter. First or second, you've proved throughout the year who you are. And I guess that was our mission with West Virginia is that maybe this was the second best team in the Big 12 all year and just had a bad weekend, eh, bad week. I think it's possible. I, Me, personally, I would take into account more of the conference tournament. I, I know I, I can't knock West Virginia too much. For me, I would have been torn, you know, about a three or four. I would have been right on the border there because those last few games um, – you're looking at them in West Virginia's playing. And for me, it's these games, you know, the, the two losses to Oklahoma State and the loss to Baylor. I'm looking at those games and saying, well, a loss here, a close loss, all three close losses, all three games where West Virginia's in it. That's not going to be a negative for me. It's not going to knock them down a line. But wins might have moved them up. I think that's how I kind of viewed those last three regular season or the two regular season games and the first one in the conference tournament. But that man, I mean, it, it's hard to kind of just completely disregard the conference tournament when the conference tournament is essentially a mini NCAA tournament. You know, go on play a neutral site and play some good teams, and you kind of go out in the first round. It, I, there's got to be some some knock on there, you know, you know, some kind of penalty for that. And you know, I, hey, I, I, like I said, I was on the border between a three and a four, so them getting a three seed wasn't that big of a shock to me. I guess it was more so that Oklahoma State got a four. Mm. A couple other teams, you know, Oklahoma State had the second most quad one wins of anyone in the entire country. Like, behind Illinois, that was it. And they get a four seed? And they have a similar record? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. But I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I'm okay with West Virginia as a three seed. I wouldn't have been shocked if it was a four seed. If you, if I wrote about this. Uh, I was watching other events, and I thought that a handful of teams could really make West Virginia sweaty on Sunday, um, and none of them did what they had to do. Not not one of them, none of them. Um, Florida State didn't win the ACC. 
Creighton didn't win the Big East. Colorado or USC did not win the Pac-12. Tennessee didn't win. Florida didn't win. LSU didn't win. Like none of these things happened that could have conspired to to make West Virginia really sweat it out toward the end of the that hour or half hour they put those brackets together. And you might be a five. Um, and what that did was that there was room on the four line for somebody. And it turned out there was room on the three line for somebody because I, I really had Oklahoma State up there, too. We'll get into Oklahoma State because I think that's the one that everybody has to beef about, and it does directly affect West Virginia. But um, real time last week, real time now for West Virginia. I, I, I didn't I, – again, I, I have been, I've been behind this team the entire season. I think they're resilient, and I just thought that they played an overtime game against Baylor and could not beat Oklahoma State, which is not new. Uh, that's a team that's kind of really played them well with – Lesser personnel, and obviously with the personnel they have right now, Mike Boynton's five and four against Bob Buggins. That's pretty good. And for them to win twice with days separated, that's not a back to back, really. I mean, they had some time to get better, and they had the best player in the country by by a lot of accounts. So I don't know. Losses aren't good, but I think you can understand that they were not embarrassed or blown away. They fought and came back and rallied in each one of those games. I, I just kind of thought at that time, like, listen, this is this team isn't in a bad position in March, and now they're they just happen to be in a way better position than I thought. Do you want to talk about the draw? Let's do it. Okay. Well, I, I, right off the bat, uh, what do you think? We'll, we'll start it off just the same way that Bob Huggins started his off. Are, are you giving the same answer? What are your initial thoughts on that draw? If I'm them, I'm, I'm really happy with it because you're closer to a two than a four, believe it or not. Yeah. They're, they're number 10 overall. That means your one through four is your, your ones, your five through eight are your twos, your 10, you're closer to a two than a four which is not what a conversation we were having. And then you get the, uh, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say a great matchup in the one, but let's worry about even getting there first. Um, you get a, a mid-major team that's that's hot with an asterisk. You get, uh, I think, let's see, San Diego State, I think is probably underseeded, but they're the last six. And you get one of the final at-large teams in Syracuse if you go to the next round. And then of the twos, if you had to pick a two, you're probably calling out Houston, right? You'd rather see them. So I think there's a lot to like about that. And then again, the big thing is being the three. You, you avoid that that number one until the elite eight, and that's that's if they get there. You're giving them an extra round of play to maybe lose or whatever. So if you if you avoid them in, before the six, sweet sixteen, I think that's an accomplishment. Um, you could put them in far far worse situations and not a whole lot better situations than this. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I looked at that and I thought, man. You know, we, we saw these projections and it was a four seed, maybe some three seeds, but some tough matchups. Uh, a, a lot of them had West Virginia State as a four seed and Tennessee as the five. And Tennessee's had their ups and downs this season. But the thing is, their up is like, you know, final four kind of kind of potential, but first round loss potential as well. But the, the, you don't want to face those types of teams usually. And. I don't know if I see that in this this little section of their region over here. And not to say that they should be the favorite, but if you ask me what other region would you want to be a three seed in, I don't know if it gets better than that That one. Uh, a lot of these are tough. These are tough, 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 tough ones. Um, the I wouldn't want to be on the side with Iowa, which is where Kansas is. I wouldn't want to be on the side where with Alabama, which is where Texas is. So, and you, we've already seen West Virginia play some of the teams in the other one where they're they would face Texas Tech in the second round if they were in the South region, Florida, Ohio State. 
there's some tough teams. Teams West Virginia's already lost to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as far as where would you want to go on, on a three-seed line or even a four-seed line out of each of the four regions, I think this is the best possible spot for West Virginia because that four-seed, even in the Midwest, Oklahoma State, they get Liberty, and they've been Liberty's been pinned by like experts all across the country. Now, I'm not an expert on Liberty. I haven't watched them uh, very much this year, but they've been the pick for the trendy pick even before the bracket came out of, hey, watch this team. They're one of the best auto-qualifier teams out there, and, and Oklahoma State gets them in the first round, and then Tennessee most likely in the second round, and then Illinois. So that's a rough rough draw for Oklahoma State and and West Virginia's not that bad even if they are playing Murray State slash Moorhead State in the first round <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there I promise um would you have had any issue if they flop West Virginia and Oklahoma State West Virginia opening Friday against Liberty Oklahoma State opening Friday against Moorhead State because I think that's the one thing where people look at it and say they got that wrong I'm not sure they did but why did they get it right and why did they get it wrong hey that would be like I mean that's that would be a complete reversal of of how I would view the draw for West Virginia. That that's just such a tougher draw, and not even the fact that you're playing the one seed in the Sweet 16, but that's one of the toughest 13 seeds, and then one of the toughest five seeds back to back. That'd be terrible. Uh, I don't envy Oklahoma State in this situation, and you know I. I'm going around trying to see who do you knock off out of the three seed. Texas, I think they deserve to be there. They won the they won the Big Twelve, even if they got a buy in the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas, they finished strong, had a good a good solid resume, and then Arkansas. Mm, you know, maybe that's where I'm looking. You know, does Oklahoma State knock out West Virginia? Is, is what I'm I'm getting at as the three seed. I I would, me personally, I would have gone Big Twelve all across the three seeds, all four. Clean sweep. Yeah. Like, and, which is crazy to say, which is, is something else I think are the, the, you know, the fans that like to get to the Star City Bridge and, and get ready to jump here that down the stretch. A couple of these losses that West Virginia's having, every other day they're playing three seeds, basically, in the Big 12 Conference. Mm-hmm. They're, playing, they're playing a three seed every other game. So they are battle-tested. Uh, they are ready to go. Uh, every single loss this season was to a tournament team. Um, I mean, you talked about how tough the schedule was overall. I, I, I haven't gone back and looked, but I'm staring at staring at the bracket last night and this morning, and I see a lot of familiar faces, even even from the non-conference schedule. You see VCU up there, Wichita State up there, uh, Florida in there, of teams that West Virginia played this year. And, and they just played tourney team after tourney team. So this shouldn't be that different for them. 18 games against tournament teams, or which is impressive because you're talking beginning of the season, VCU, end of the season, obviously, and West Virginia is 9-9 nine and nine in those games. And you say, well, that's nine losses. That's their only nine losses. Right. So that resonates, I think. And when you, when you consider that, they got VCU in a tournament. Western Kentucky was close. They got them in the, in the same tournament, but that's a, a tournament team and an almost tournament team. Steered, out of the, the, steered off the road to get Gonzaga and also North Texas. Don't forget that. Played Georgetown, played Florida, and now they got some help on that because they were scheduled to do it. That adds up, and then obviously all the action in the Big 12, too. I think that's important, too. West Virginia has done something, though, of significance late in the season. Beat TCU, and I think TCU is the explanation for why Oklahoma State is not a three seed. Uh, two losses to TCU? Can you believe yeah, it? I, could, I couldn't. I Again, that was something I was trying to grapple with 
when I was going through my my rankings for the the power rankings, I was like, man, how did I? You you really you know TCU's can can make it can be tough. I mean, West Virginia's seen that in recent years, especially playing in Fort Worth. But uh, slip up once, got it, but tw- twice. Twice yeah. Oklahoma State, and I was like, "Oh, maybe that was one of those games where Cade Cunningham was was sick." Because you know, my memory might be slipping a little bit. No, he was ready. He was healthy. Uh, wasn't sick. Wasn't hurt. Uh, full full complement of players for both games, and just lost both of them. So, uh, it's you know we don't like to talk about quality losses, but when you're losing to to, to getting swept by a team that's what finished eighth. In the Big 12, which is which you know Big 12's top seven teams in there, but uh, there's a pretty big drop off between seven and eight. Uh, that's not something you want on your resume. I think you're you're right. That was the big glaring uh oh for them. The other thing too, and I think this was part of the calculus this year, is that the predictive analytics just just hate Oklahoma State. I don't know what that is, but when they when they're sitting down, okay, how would this team do against this team? Should they be in a three? Well, this formula, this this website, this algorithm says no, and a lot of the predictive stuff does not like Oklahoma State, which means that it does like West Virginia. If it's an either or thing like that for a team, it does seem like it likes that. Um, I was reading some of the the quotes from who is the head of the committee? Is it Barnhart? What's yeah. his name from Kentucky? Yeah, Mitch yeah. Barnhart. Um, and he's he's open and honest about these things. So, and I think the one thing he said was that they did look at this. It's such a moving target. It feels like every year it's different. And, for example, they don't have the RPI to have the net now. Oklahoma State's lower than West Virginia in the net. Um, but then again, Oklahoma State is also lower than – or West Virginia is also lower than some teams that are above it. Um, you know, Texas and Kansas come to mind too. So that was it's a strange thing. But, again, if you're West Virginia, you can't complain. Uh, they leave soon to go out there to uh, Indianapolis, and they're out there the entire time that they'll play, which is a weird thing this year. So if they win Friday and then Sunday, they're staying in Oklahoma or Indianapolis the entire time, but they will leave today for Indianapolis. They'll have their regular media on Wednesday and then Thursday. I don't know what they'll do. So um, Thursday is usually the day that you do your stuff if you're playing the next day, but I'm wondering if they just want people not in the arena because it's going to be so crowded. So it might be hard to do a zoom at some high school or something in Indianapolis. So They'll be busy. They're leaving today, and they'll be gone, I think they would hope, for quite some time. Um, and let's get into this now. Moorhead State, I think a lot of people want to say, uh-oh, 19-1 in their last 20 games, a 3 versus a 14. This sounds awful familiar to a team from you know a small conference not too long ago when the team was you know showing signs that maybe things weren't perfect at the end of the season. You flash back, Stephen F. Austin, they had some bad practices. Huggins was worried, uh, even though they'd gone to the championship game of the Big 12. Uh, I think Stephen F. Austin just run through the Southland Conference, had won 20 in a row, 20-something in a row, came in with a huge unbeaten streak. This is not that. This is no. a good team, I think, but like I just think that Stephen F. Austin team was criminally underrated, obviously. Um, probably it was a play away from the Sweet 16. Um, Notre Dame got the better what, two days later. Uh, there's a good team, 19-1, has avenged all of its losses during the season in conference play. But... I just don't see the parallel here apart from wanting to make it a parallel. Can you tell me how many, I'm going to quiz you. Can you tell me how many quad one wins Moorhead state has? It's a great number, isn't it? <laughs> zero, zero yeah. point zero. Um, and, and not without chances either. Yeah. And then only one quad two win. So, you know, we, I don't think these quad 
things are perfect. Um, I mean, for crying out loud, Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's kind of slipped a little bit, but Oklahoma, both of those losses for West Virginia, I believe I believe even the one, or well, maybe not the one on the road, is in quad two. I'm trying to think of what the other quad two loss was for West Virginia. But, um, I mean, it's not perfect. But when you only have one win in quad one and quad two, that's telling. Like, you know, you get to, you get to trying to pick the difference between six wins and seven wins and going six and six or seven and five in these kind of games and, and whatever, that's all, whatever it is, you can make a million different arguments there, but to have one win in quad one and quad two, that's not great. Like that, that's gotta be among the worst, even, even for auto qualifiers, that's gotta be among the worst in the entire uh, NCAA tournament. And, and I think that goes to your point that, that, that 19 to one finish is not the same uh, as we saw from like a Stephen F. Austin team just a year ago or a few years ago. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here's what I do like about their schedule, though. Now, apart from they played teams earlier on in the season, then they got some experience against teams that could, you know, maybe help them out. And maybe, maybe going to Kentucky. Um, they also played Richmond down there because that was a good part of the season for Richmond. So, yeah, here we go. Lexington, Kentucky. They played Kentucky, got hammered. Played Richmond, got hammered. Also played Ohio State, got hammered. Did get healthy against Transylvania. Uh, played Clemson, got hammered. So played good teams in the non-conference, just didn't do anything with it. So sure, West Virginia will not be the big bad they've never seen before, but I haven't beaten them either. What I do like, though, is they lost to SIU, Edwardsville, Eastern Kentucky, and Belmont. Um, <clears throat> watched a lot of OVC basketball this year. Um, it's, it's good. Like There's some good teams. Murray State's good, um, which is not to be confused with Moorhead State. Austin P is usually pretty good. Some of these other teams have have good players, good talent, but Belmont and Eastern Kentucky were good teams this season. In addition to Murray State, they lost to both of them, Eastern Kentucky and Belmont, and then beat them twice later in the season, once in the regular season and once in the tournament. So they got better as the season got as the season went along. I don't think there's any denying that. And there's good habits that come from building now from winning. Do you take it for granted? Do you expect it? Are you not putting in the work at the end? I kind of have a hard time believing that because again, they beat two good teams that they had beaten earlier, but also lost to earlier in the conference sermon. So I think that's, that's something to think about too. But as far as comparison to Stephen F. Austin, if you go down deep into Ken Palm, Moorhead State is 128 this year in the Ken Palm readings, right? Real deep. Yeah. So what does that mean? That means it's like a middle of the pack team. Um, maybe upper third, I guess, but not anything to scare you about. If you go back to 2016, 
Stephen F. Austin was 41. Right. Big difference there. And Stephen F. Austin in offensive defense rankings, 57-36. That's pretty good, right? And that's top mm-hmm. half of the country, top half of the top half of the country. Different for Moorhead State, 214 in offense, but 72 in defense. Um, if we ever get into the matchup, we'll, we'll, we'll get an idea of what they actually do. It's not a team that's completely unlike West Virginia, actually, but um, they happen to play really, really slow. But they're one of the luckiest teams in the country. They're third in Pomeroy's luck ratings. Uh-oh. Um, thank, goodness <laughs> it's, thank goodness it's not on St. Patrick's Day, but um, the only teams that are luckier are Cleveland State Tournament, and Navy, which is a good team this year, too. I don't know what to make of this. What do we do with the luckiest, one of the luckiest teams in the country, the second luckiest team in the field? I, I don't know. That's, you just you shocked me with that stat. I wasn't prepared for that. Um, luck can only get you so far. Let's put it that way. I, I think luck's only going to come into play uh, when the game's close, if the game's close. I, I, I'm not saying West Virginia's going to blow them out, but luck's only going to get you so far. I think, you know, that, that luck rating it's more for close games. It's, it's more for a couple points here, a couple points there. It's not going to be the, you know, a 10, 20 point swing or something like that in a game. So it, it, it is what it is. I don't, I don't expect it to be, um, you know, a big factor. Cause I feel like that's probably a little bit swayed by the fact that they're, they're, probably a much more talented than a lot of the teams they're playing and it just makes them seem like they're better. I don't know. I, I just don't even pay attention to that. <laughs> Have you uh, come up with any ideas, pros, cons, strengths, weaknesses for this matchup? No. Uh, oh. Other than, other than luck. Cause West Virginia is what? 264th. I see now, now that you got me looking at it. Mm-hmm. 264. Yikes. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. It's, it looks like they have a good program. They're in a good basketball state. They've gotten players from different parts of, of college basketball. I think they'll be okay there. I think a lot of people will not be betting for them. Although, there is some Cinderella to Moorhead State and at least one prediction saying that West Virginia is a likely upset contender, I guess. Is that the right word? Because you wouldn't be contending if you're getting upset. Upset victim. And that's, this is from someone who liked them as a sleeper Final Four candidate not even three weeks ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing as I was putting the video up. Yeah. What, what happened here? I don't know. It was funny when you watch the video. This is from Matt Norland- Norlander here at CBS Sports. And, uh, you know, it, it was it was it, uh, which uh, the Kansas win or something like that, 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 he's, that he said, you know, this is a Final Four team. This is looking like a Final Four team for West Virginia. And now, he was asked last night, right after the tournament was revealed. So we got to give you know a little leeway here when you get put on the spot the moment the bracket gets released. Um, it's hard to you know I can't imagine like on air trying to do it on the fly. And he was asked, "What's going to be the biggest discrepancy between um, you, you know seeds as far as an upset? You know, like a twelve and five, a thirteen and four." And he goes through the twelve and fives, and then. Ventures off to the 13 and fours and then says, you know what? Actually, it's 14 3. I'm settled, settled on West Virginia getting upset by Moorhead State. And man, that was, uh, I don't know, maybe the, the, the Murray State video will, will help motivate Moorhead State. And maybe that one will help motivate West Virginia. Who knows? Mm. So, just, just some quick stuff on Moorhead State. I, I want to say Murray State. Can we get this joke out of the bag now? 
<laughs> uh, Bob Huggins was talking about Murray's Moorhead State and about what a great tournament game they had a couple years ago when they played the number two pick in the draft, but they didn't have uh, Javon Carter and Sagas Kanate, whatever, and clearly confused them with Murray State <laughs> because that was um, John Morant and a pretty good Moorhead State team that, I mean, is, is not even the same as this team here. That was a, a high-scoring, high-tempo Murray State team. This is a little bit different, too, but... Um, they're, they have they have parts that I think could give West Virginia um, a reason to set up in the film room, beginning with uh, Johnny Broom, 6'10", 235, averages 13, 3, and 8.7. Gets about two blocks per game, too. Uh, first team all-conference. Also freshman of the year in the Big Ten, or the uh, Ohio Valley. Kind of like my chances if I'm throwing Colbert and Osaboyan at him for however many minutes a game this guy plays. So that's kind of their premier player. He's um He's good. He's like a double-double. They also shoot the ball really well. Um, they have a couple of guys who make, you know, between thirty-five and thirty-nine percent, but they're a terrible three-point shooting team. So one of those things where if the guy gets hot, you know, you kind of duck and take cover, I guess. But the team isn't going to string together a bunch of threes and beat you. But they do have some players that that'll make them. And again, thirty-three, thirty-five, thirty-nine percent, uh, pretty good. We've seen that this year. But I'm looking at the all-conference team. Mm-hmm. One first team player and a coach of the year, but really no one else. Well, maybe that's why he won coach of the year. Yeah, got a second team guy, first team guy, and then you know, again, the uh, the rookie or newcomer of the year is obviously Broom. It'll be interesting. I think it's going to be one of those things where th- there's going to be relative strengths. They both rebound and they both get to the foul line a lot. Can, can one team you know take advantage of that? West Virginia, very concerned about the rebounding all of a sudden. Out-rebounded in five of the past ten games. Um, I want to say they were they did not lose the rebounding battle in the first eight, and they're about 500 since then. So does that have to do with competition? Is it going to be not nearly as problematic against a team that's from a different conference? Likely, but this is what this team actually does. They do go after the boards. They have some big guys. And again, 6'10", 235, he's athletic. Um, he can do some things. He's getting about a double-double per game. We'll see. And then the fouling and you know getting to the free throw line, that's that's always an issue. And even Huggins said that, I mean, let's, let's discuss that. 3,000 against Oklahoma State in the second half. Really didn't get in the free throw line at all. To, to get some points back, I think Culver was one for three for the game. That all happened in the first couple of minutes. Now, granted, he wasn't himself. But, you know, that's those are the two concerns for West Virginia. Um from an immediate glance at this is that they're not a great rebounding team lately. Moorhead state seems to be, and that they did not get to the foul line a whole lot. Saturday, Thursday. And when they're not going well offensively, they don't do that either. Cause they're not great finishing around the rim and they take so many jump shots. Whereas this team does. And if one team can max out the way it gets points or lets the other team not get points, that's how you stir up an upset. And by the way, they block a ton of shots too. So West Virginia's, success around the rim is going to be really important. Um, I would say aggressiveness to get there to try to maybe get fouled, but to maybe score um, and maybe to get that big guy out of the game. But if they're not scoring around the rim, if they're not getting points in the paint, they're getting shots blocked and they're not getting to the free throw line because they're discouraged. Hey, here you go. It's second half with eight minutes to go. And it's, you know, 61 to 55. And you're thinking, how did this happen? I didn't see this coming. Yeah. Quick, a quick, a quick look back at uh, Moorhead state's losses this season. Um, on six of the seven losses, they were out rebounded, and yeah. not just out rebounded, but like a lot, like forty-two to thirty, uh, you know, thirty-eight to twenty-six, stuff like that. And, and but as you noted, that's not exactly West Virginia's strong suit, at least lately. 
uh, you know, getting out rebounded uh, by other teams. I'll really truly only have in one, you know, big, however, or maybe two, however you want to classify Gabe. But um, that 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 would be something I would say I would say to watch. Now, again, West Virginia is getting out rebounded by teams that are in the Big Twelve with multiple six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, six, ten guys crashing the boards and and guards that are six seven and flying in and grabbing some on their own and Moorhead State's not going to have that you know they're going to have six six three guards that are out there that just hang around the the perimeter they don't really rebound and you're not going to see like a just a run of six ten guys coming off the bench to to bang with Derek Culver so um you know he's going to have his hands full with with Broom as you mentioned but this is something that uh, you know I would keep an eye on because they're they're not a bad rebounding team, but it's just a matter of the competition. To win once when you get out rebounded is not a great trait, but four of those losses are against their non conference team. So again, they right. might have something to do with the conference and their good competition too. Uh, and again, just going, we'll we'll do more in detail on this. But thirteenth in shot blocks, shot blocked shots per game nationally, fifty seventh in defensive rebounds per game. So you better make your shots. Um, 26 in rebounding margin, 26 in scoring defense. Um, they do not foul, 13th in the country, so that works uh, works against you going to the line. Um, and they are 18th and 30th in free throw attempts and free throw makes. So again, how do you how do you beat a team in March? You you do what you do really well, and if it just so happens that it lines up with where another team is maybe not as good or vulnerable, you, you lean into that and try to do it. So let's see if West Virginia can keep him out of the paint. Can they keep that guy from getting his back to the basket and scoring? Or getting his shoulder square and grabbing rebound and putting it back in, and can they keep him off the line? That'll be an interesting part of this too. Uh, let's look ahead to the second game. I think we're sort of maybe presuming they're going to get through here. The the prep on this one, the scouting reports for your second round opponent could not be more different, just because of the way they play, especially on defense. Um, I, again, I think San Diego State's better than a six, and never mind that the last six, they were, they were closer to a seven than a five. So that's interesting to me. But and then. Syracuse, which is a team you don't want to play. You just don't want to play them in March because of that zone. And I think West Virginia can draw back to some game plans from years back against the 2-3. I don't think it's changed that much. It's not They haven't put an extra guy on the court. It's not a 3-3. It's a 2-3, and they've seen it a bunch. They haven't done great against it, though. That's the, the problem. Um, and then West Virginia has, I think, the personnel and maybe the, the, the shooting and scoring to get over the zone. I'm not so sure about into the middle and making great plays, although Taz Sherman might disagree. Culver would have to have a big game. Osaboy would have to have a big game. But the other side of that is San Diego State's man-to-man defense is excellent. They're one of the best on-the-ball half-court defensive teams in the country. Um, defense travels, I think people say, in March. Either way, West Virginia's offense, and in particular shooting, had better travel from Friday to Sunday. Yeah, Syracuse, um, a lot of people thought that they might not even get in. That at best they were one of the last four in and would be playing in the play-in game. Uh, so I think to see them not just in, but not even in that play-in play-in games, it was a little bit surprising. But you're right. It, do you want to face that that tricky zone with a team that <clears throat> maybe has underperformed this season, but still has you know a couple four and five star talents that might step it up for for March for for the spotlight. So that's a tough one. Not not thrilled about that potential option. But San Diego State would scare the living daylights out of me. Um, you mentioned it. Uh, one of the best defenses in the country. Number 11 defense, according to Ken Palm. Uh, ranked higher overall in Ken Palm than West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, uh, for those wondering, 
those not familiar, Ken Palm is like a predictive thing. It's not about entirely about what they, they've done, but more about what they are capable of doing based on what they've done in the past. So um, that would not be a great matchup, I don't think. Uh, a, I think obviously, you know, you look at the seeding and you say, "Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather face Syracuse." I I think that's the the right answer. But either way, both of those teams are drastically different than Moorhead State and will force whoever is on that scout, uh, you know, the, the the assistant coach and uh, the GAs that are on that scout that are going to be planning ahead because they they will do that. Somebody will go ahead and start scouting both of those teams before West Virginia even plays Moorhead State. You know, they're, they're going to have most of the attention on Moorhead State. But somebody on the staff, maybe two people on staff, will be evaluating and scouting those other two teams and prepping all the information for that. Because West Virginia is going to have to do a complete, you know, a complete change on the fly between Friday and Sunday. Yeah. So what will happen now is that all the the film people in the GAs, they're going to go into, uh, let's say, Eric Martin's office and say, here's everything you need on Moorhead State. And then the same thing is going to happen for Ron Everhart, who's going to get let's say Syracuse and Larry Harrison is going to get San Diego state and they're going to work on their game plans for the next couple of days. Here's the the bad thing about that game Friday night, the nine fifty tip. Oh, mm. so glad. Uh, nine fifty tip. Um, they still have to play on Sunday. So West Virginia, the team that gets home at five in the morning all the time <laughs> is going to have the latest start time. Um, out there, I don't. I can't imagine a, late, a later start. There's no West Coast games, right? So the latest start time, the shortest amount of time between the first and second game, which makes you think they're probably going to play the late game Sunday. I think that's fair. Actually, you know what? They're going to play the noon game Sunday. How about that? But <laughs> you you only have Saturday, which means that work has to be done. So those guys will go to bed. I'm assuming with the iPad that has the Syracuse or San Diego State clips, um, scouting report, everything already uploaded to it it'll be that fast and efficient so um they'll find out who won they'll probably watch that game whoever has um whatever two coaches have syracuse san diego state they'll watch that game before they play and they'll make some adjustments to their scouting report they've already put together but when that team goes to bed uh, early saturday morning they're gonna have not only an idea who they're playing but how that team plays and then they got all of saturday to get ready quick well the good the good news is um, whichever team they end up facing, they'll have gone through the same thing. Uh, their 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 tip time is 9:40 p.m. on Friday night, uh, yep. the Syracuse San Diego State game. So, um, is it really? I, yeah. So I guess they're trying to keep it fair um, with with both of those teams tipping off at abysmally late hours. And I agree. I, I think I don't see how you have a team to tip off at and you know finish a game at likely around or after midnight on Friday night and then turn around and play like Sunday morning, Sunday lunchtime. So I have to imagine that it's going to be a Sunday evening game. I'm uh, I'm surprised. I thought they were, I thought they were playing early. I thought I'd saw that. So my bad. So that's a good, Hey, solid on them and kudos because again, the team that travels so much isn't playing in West Lafayette or Bloomington either. I thought that was going to happen for sure that West Virginia was going to get the late game and like <laughs> out in like Purdue or Indiana. <laughs> and they have to drive home after that and just be like, this is crazy. How is the big 12 in charge here? But obviously not because Everything has come up roses for West Virginia here. Again, just it just seems like a lot is obviously up to them for what happens now. But what happened recently is, is all things considered a pretty good situation for them. Yeah, I have to agree. I, like I said, let's beginning with that week where the Big 12 Conference completely chained out. West Virginia didn't end up uh, winning a bunch of those games, but how the 
Big 12 completely changed the end of the schedule, so they didn't have to stay on the road for all that time. Yeah. Got a bunch of home games. Um, you know, got some rest. Were allowed to go home because I believe they were planning on asking teams to stay in Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament, like afterwards, like even if they had lost early on. And West Virginia got to go home. I, and and I, I say I believe that because I it, Tony – uh, Caridi said it on something similar to that on the radio. So I'm kind of just going off that, but they got to go home. They got to rest. They got a couple days, got a very favorable seating, uh, and, and a potentially decent draw. So, Hey man, every, West Virginia is part of the establishment. Now they, they, they're, they were one of the favored teams of the establishment. Let's leave everybody here with a question. Answer this one in the comments, whether you're listening now or later, if you're going to leave a comment in the website or on Twitter, but you roll on Friday. Would you rather play San Diego State? Good team. Lesser conference. Still a good conference. Um, remember, they were, they were Final Four good last year. Different team there, but great defense. Um, probably underseeded. A good team. Or would you rather play Syracuse, which is the lesser opponent, presumably an easier one to get past to get to the Sweet 16? Would you rather play San Diego State's man-to-man or, and this is the hook, Syracuse's zone? So basically, would you rather avoid the zone to play the better team, or would you rather avoid the better team to play the zone? What do you think? Oh, I know my answer. I'd rather play Syracuse. It is what it is. I I think that... Tough half court defense from San Diego State it is it would be a bad matchup for West Virginia. Uh, that zone, I think West Virginia will be able to kind of grab a couple more rebounds. And if they are, if their shooting is on, which it has been for the most part, I think they can shoot over that zone. I think they have the length, and I have I think they have the shooters that they can shoot over that zone and should be able to handle Syracuse. So I think I'd, I'd rather have a Syracuse matchup in round two. Yeah, sleepy thing about Syracuse is their 215 rebound margin, 99 in, uh, excuse me, 193 in scoring defense. They give up 71 points a game. They get out-rebounded on the average, and those are two things that West Virginia does well. They score points, and they, they typically do rebound okay. They're in a bit of a funk against good teams. The teams that are out-rebounding are, are good rebounding teams, too. That's not Syracuse. That zone makes it difficult, too. So you might be right there. But, again, curious. If you don't like the zone and you don't want to see it because it's an all-or-nothing game and you'd rather avoid it, maybe you want to see the better team. If you don't want to see the better team and take your chances against the zone, that's not bad either. So, I don't know. I'm just curious what the, the temperature of the room is on that one. So, hey, feel free to, to leave us a note there. And then, Chris, we're, we're back to business. You're in town, feet in the ground, a lot going on already, including today. Uh, what's happening? What else is happening? Uh, we just had a story go up while we were recording this of a new Western Hoops offer. Um, only place you can find the interview right now uh, with James Oconquo. Uh, he is from the United Kingdom, came over, is playing at Beckley Prep, and West Virginia was the first you know high major offer for him. Uh, he had one from Montana State, but West Virginia offered him a 6'9 tennis player who likes to throw alley-oops to himself off the backboard and... Uh, yeah, he's only, what, a uh, sophomore in high school. So uh, got some pretty good-looking highlight uh, film on there. Uh, it looks like it could be a really good player. Comes from good stock. His, 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 both of his brothers are collegiate tennis players. Uh, one is, like, a, one of the best in the country in 
uh, at uh, was it Iowa. Mm-hmm. So he, he's got he's got good genes. He's got good talent. He's got athleticism. Uh, a very very interesting offer uh, for West Virginia there. And going to have some more recruiting stuff over the next couple of days. Got some new football offers, some recruiting buzz. Going to have some more coverage of this basketball uh, situation. Obviously, the ton of stuff. You know, we work with CBS Sports, and they, they handle the tournament. And we got uh, a lot of experts chiming in on these things and a lot of different opinions about what's going to go on in that Midwest region. Uh, kind of a lot of people feeling it's pretty wide open. So we'll have that covered from all angles. And as you noted, we got the email right as we are starting this podcast. Uh, of the media schedule, we'll get Bob Huggins and, and one player to be determined on Wednesday. Who's your player to be determined, Mike? Who are you, who are you looking for? Uh, it's Culver. <laughs> there you go. He, I, he, I agree. I agree. He, I, don't, I would absolutely ask for him as well. I believe that's the um, the rule this year, too. you got to coach on one player before and after games, too. So not a, not a great depth of talent there. But um, I think we'll have another announcement as far as our coverage plans today, too. Oh. Let's not give it away yet. Okay. Some, okay. things, some things have to happen, but let's see if that works out first. Got it. Out of my hands. Um, yeah, and then the bracket challenge. Yes. Big deal here. Please hop in. We got the link on the site. I posted it up on the board. Uh, free to play. Um, chance for prizes, not for me, but from CBS Sports. and um, Get in there and make some picks. Uh, we, we got people... Years after the fact, you know, we've been running this this pool for, uh, let's see, I've been doing this for 11 years. I think I've been running it for this pool for eight years, nine years. And there are people still that, that won one of those bracket challenges seven years ago, I think, six years ago. Still bragging about it. And uh, can't, can't fault him. You keep it up. You come out and win. You can brag about it for the next seven years, too. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the email, by the way. They had to do their COVID tests on... Wednesday and Saturday. So even Saturday, their time for practicing and filming all that's going to be compromised because that that testing isn't fast. I don't think and they'll just come in and swap, 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 swap. It's probably going to be complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, another long trip for West Virginia. I'm sure they want to keep going as long as they can. Chris, we've gone long enough. We'll have plenty more about the individual aspects of this matchup as we get closer. Uh, and it's literally as far away as it can be. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> you know what? it's not Saturday. Never mind. Um, yeah. It's almost as far away as it can be, but. Plenty to do, plenty to say, plenty to write before then. But until then, I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.